0: Good morning, everyone. Hope you're doing great today. If you're watching us live stream today on our website or our Facebook live page, glad you're joining us. Those of you in the concourse, in the hallways, at the tables, with your families, man, it's just great to see you this morning. Um, Great to see everyone. Uh, If you have a Bible this morning, please take it out. Uh, I I don't want you to turn to the Psalms. We're continuing in in our series called When. It's a study in the book of Psalms. Um, It's called When because each individual psalm teaches us what to do when we, we encounter certain situations in life. Um, but I want you to turn instead to Matthew 21 and Luke 16. Matthew 21, put a marker in there, and Luke 16, and put a marker in there. We're going to be there in just a minute. We're looking at one verse in Psalm 116 this morning, and we're answering the question this morning, what do we do when we're faced with death? On Palm Sunday, we're talking about what do we do like Jesus when we're faced with death? with death. Let's pray this morning. Holy Spirit, would you freely minister to everyone that's here, everyone that's watching us online. Lord, there are so many needs, needs needs of healing, needs of deliverance, needs of restoration of marriages and families and individual lives that have been broken. There's a need for wisdom to know what to do. There's a need for encouragement to do it. So Holy Spirit, in this moment, would you strengthen the hearts of those that are gathered here And watching online and holy spirit would you open our our spiritual eyes and our spiritual ears to understand the scriptures that we're reading to understand the concept of death from a spiritual perspective we ask these things in christ's name amen amen death is a really unpopular subject no one wants to talk about it even more preachers don't want to preach about it it's not really all necessarily a feel-good subject Although my prayer this morning is, for, as we talk about death, for those of you that know Christ, it would, it would bring encouragement and comfort. For those of you that don't know Christ, I pray that it would bring a sense of anxiety and worry into your life as you consider what happens to you when you die. Um, so we, 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 not only do, do we not like to talk about it, we don't even really think about death that much unless um, we, we just lost somebody someone close to us that died, or maybe we're facing a major health issue, or maybe someone in our life um, is close to death. At those moments in life, we we tend to gravitate towards thoughts of death, but death impacts everyone, young and old. Um, How is death affecting your life right now? Maybe you're grieving the loss of someone that's recently died, a, a parent, a child, a friend, maybe, maybe there's someone in your life that's about to die, and you're thinking about that a little bit more. Or, or maybe, you know, you, if you're like me, you're getting to that age where you, you go to a lot more funerals than, than you do weddings, because more of my friends are dying than getting married. As you get older, that begins to happen. And maybe that's where you are. Maybe you're inching toward death. Maybe you're getting up there and you're starting to think about that a little bit more in your life. I I have some favorite quotes about death. Let me share some of them with you this morning. Woody Allen, actor and producer, he said, I'm not afraid to die. I just don't wanna be there when it happens. (laughs) Andy Rooney says, death is a distant rumor to the young. How true is that? Young people really, it's not even on their radar. Nor nor should it be, because you've got your whole life ahead of you. You're not really thinking about death at this point in your life. Epicurus, the Greek philosopher, said, why should I fear death? If I am, death is not. If death is, I am not. Why fear that which cannot exist when I do? Martin Luther King Jr. said, no one really knows why they are alive until they know what they would die for. My favorite, Katherine Hepburn. Life is hard. After all, it kills you, right? <laughs> right? Did you know that the odds of you getting audited this tax season um, is 1 in 220? The odds of you as an amateur bowler bowling a perfect game is, 11, 000, is 1 to 11,500. The odds of you getting struck by lightning is 1 in 15,300. And the odds of you dying is one in one. You're gonna die, and I'm gonna die unless Jesus comes back. Death is something that we need to think about, but we need, to, we need to think about death from the right perspective. So what is God's perspective on death? Psalm 116 verse 15 says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his godly ones. The word precious means sacred. It means of great value. God God puts great esteem and value on the death of his godly ones because God sees death from a heavenly perspective. When when we experience death in this life, we grieve and we mourn our own loss. We we feel the feelings of hurt and loss in the absence of that person. We we have pain. Uh, We're hurt. God, on the other hand, celebrates what that, if it's a Christian, what that person just gained. You see, moving from this life to the next for the Christian is, is better. That's why Paul in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21 can, can say, for me, to live is Christ and to die is what? Gain. Say it again. Yeah. Gain. Gain. That's a heavenly perspective. A heavenly perspective is God wants you to experience in Christ an incredible life while you're alive. Filled with joy and hope and meaningful relationships and purpose and fulfillment in your life. That's God's intention for you in this life. But to die is better. That's the biblical view of of death. If you're in Christ, to die is gain. And so we're going to look this morning at, at God's perspective on death. So on Palm Sunday, five days before Jesus would go to the cross... He rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. And we're going to read that story this morning in Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21. Verse 1 says, As Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came came to the town of Bethpage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them on ahead and said, Go into the village over there. As soon as you enter it, you will see a donkey tied there with its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. <clears throat> if anyone asks you, what are you doing? Just say, the Lord needs them, and he will immediately let you take them. This, this took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. Jesus sends two disciples ahead to get this colt, him to ride on. Jesus was thinking about his death. Palm Sunday is about death. It's about Jesus in five days giving his life for humanity. We know Jesus was thinking about death because in the gospel of Mark, three times before this event happens, three times before he gets on a donkey and rides into Jerusalem, he tells his disciples, I'm going to suffer and die, but I'm going to be raised on the third day. Two times after this event in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus tells his disciples, I'm going to suffer and die, but on the third day I'm going to be raised again. Five times in the Gospel of Mark, death is on Jesus' mind, connected to Palm Sunday. Jesus essentially is sitting on on a donkey riding to his death, although it would be five days later. It's his death that's on his mind. Verse 6, the two disciples did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt to Jesus and they threw their garments over the colt and Jesus sat on it. Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of Jesus. Others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Jesus was in the center of the procession and all the people around him were shouting, praise God for the son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in highest heaven. The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as Jesus entered on the donkey. and They said, who is this? The crowds replied, it's Jesus the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Jesus rides into Jerusalem five days before he's crucified on a cross and dies for the sins of humanity. He rides in on the donkey. What's the significance of that? Well, it was a fulfillment, Matthew tells us, of Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, an Old Testament prophecy that Jesus as the Messiah would fulfill that says he would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. The second thing is when a king in those days would go to battle, when he would, step, when he would ride onto the battlefield and oppose another king, if he came on a stallion, it meant that king was going to war. If he came on a donkey, it means that the king came, came humbly seeking terms of peace or wanting to sign a peace treaty. When Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, he was the king, but he came humbly to offer peace. Peace to whom? Peace to humanity. He offered a peace treaty that he would sign with his own blood on the cross, peace between sinful humanity and a holy God. Jesus was brokering a deal with the Father to save us from our sins so that we could be brought back into a relationship with him. He came humbly on a donkey for a peace treaty. The other thing in terms of significance of him riding in on a donkey was a stallion was the animal of the rich and the powerful in those days. And a donkey was the animal of the poor and the common person. Jesus didn't ride into Jerusalem as a powerful king to oppress the poor. Jesus rode into Jerusalem as a humble servant to save the oppressed and to set the captive free. There was significance to Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey on Palm Sunday. The reality is, like Jesus, each of us, you and me, are riding a donkey into Jerusalem toward our death. It just may take some of us a little longer than others but we are mindful of the fact that we are finite beings and we are riding toward the end of our life. And it's something that we need to, to consider. So what happens when we die? What happens when the body wears out or it's the end of our life? Scripture tells us a number of things. So I'm gonna share with you four words that will help you understand what happens to you when you die. The first thing is that your, your body and your soul are separated. Your, your body is put into a grave or a tomb or wherever you're laid to rest, but your soul departs, and your soul goes somewhere. The first word I want to share with you is a Hebrew word. It's the Hebrew word sheol. Sheol was the word that you'll find in the Old Testament. It was the, it was the underworld. It was the place of the dead. It was the place where all departed spirits, when they died, once their body was laid in the grave, their spirit went to sheol. Their soul went to Sheol. Both the righteous and the wicked, both the good and the evil, went to Sheol. It was considered to be under the earth somewhere. Well, as as language progressed and as history went on, the Greek word Hades replaced the word Sheol. Same concept. When a person dies, good or bad, uh, righteous or unrighteous, their body is laid in a grave, they die, but their soul or their spirit goes to Hades. Hades is this intermediate place where our, our souls were waiting for a couple of things. The next word I wanna give you is the word heaven, oranos in the Greek. When the souls of the righteous, or those that in the Old Testament put their faith in, in the Messiah who would come, and, and in the New Testament put their faith in Jesus, when, when, when they went to Hades, it was a temporary place, and, What the New Testament teaches us is that before Jesus, after he rose from the dead, but before he ascended to heaven, at some point we don't know, Jesus went to Hades, and Jesus gathered all the righteous, and when he ascended to heaven, he took all the righteous with him to heaven. He cleaned out Hades. The only ones that were left there were the unrighteous. We read that in in Ephesians. Chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, therefore it says when Jesus ascended on high, that means when he returned to heaven after his life on earth, he led captive, the captives, those that were captive in Hades, and he gave gifts to men. Now this expression, he ascended back to heaven, what does it mean except that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth, a reference to Hades. So sometime before Jesus went back to heaven, he had a mission. He went and he got all those who in the Old Testament believed by faith that the Messiah was coming and they all went with him to heaven. The unrighteous stay in Hades. Now, Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter five. He says, therefore, being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, that means alive like you are right now, you're at home, you're at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord or separated from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. But we are of good courage and prefer Remember, this is a heavenly perspective. Paul says we prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. It's better to be in heaven with God than it is to be here in this life. This life can be great. The, The point I'm making is Paul says theologically, once you die, now that Christ has resurrected and ascended to heaven, your body is laid in a grave, but your soul or your spirit goes and is immediately in the presence of the Lord. So heaven is now the destination of all those who come after Christ's resurrection. The fourth word I want to give to you is the, word, the Greek word Gehenna. It's, it's translated usually hell. Gehenna is the final destination of those that reject Christ. So here's what we read in, in Revelation chapter 21. The sea gave up the dead that were in it and death and Hades, those that were there, gave up the dead in them. And each person uh, coming out of Hades was brought before the Lord and judged according to what he or she had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire, or Gehenna, or hell. That's the final destination of those who reject Christ. Okay, you following me? So, before Christ, Hades was this place. The righteous and the wicked went there. It was separated. Um, after Jesus ascended back to heaven, he took with him all the, those that, that believed in God back to heaven. After that point, any Christian that dies, their body's laid to rest, but their soul or their spirit goes immediately to heaven. So, what does Jesus teach us about life after death? I mean, certainly if the rabbis taught Sheol, and, and in the New Testament, they taught Hades and eventually Gehenna, and they taught. What did Jesus have to say about it? Well, that's what we want to see in Luke chapter 16. Jesus tells a story about the afterlife, it's a parable. Remember, a parable is a fictitious story. It's a story that doesn't necessarily have real characters, but it's a story that's based on truth. It's a story that has true principles or biblical principles in it that we can learn spiritually. So Jesus tells a story about what happens when we, when we die, beginning in verse 19 of Luke 16. Jesus said, There was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen and who lived each day in luxury at his gate uh, lay a poor man named lazarus who was covered with sores as lazarus lay there longing for scraps from the rich man's table the dogs would come and lick his open sores the implication there is that that lazarus was sort of begging at this rich man's gate and the rich man never paid attention to him the rich man with all of his wealth and all of his resources never had a spirit of generosity to give to poor lazarus he hardened his heart So we continue, verse 22, finally the poor man died, Lazarus, and was carried by the angels to sit beside Abraham at the heavenly banquet. The rich man also died and was buried, and he went to the place of the dead in the Greek, guess what word that is, Hades. There in torment, he saw Abraham in the far distance with Lazarus at his side. The rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in in water and cool my tongue. I'm in anguish in these flames. Notice the heart of the rich man has not changed. There's there's no compassion. There's no mercy. There's no consideration of this other human being. The rich man had lots of servants, and he ordered them. so, So order Lazarus to come and serve me. Have him go dip his finger in cool water and come dip it on my tongue because he was used to being served his whole life and not being generous and serving other people. He had a heart problem. Verse 25, Abraham said to him, Son, remember that during your lifetime you had everything you wanted and Lazarus had nothing. So now he is here being comforted and you are in anguish. And besides, there is a great chasm or separation between us. No one can cross over to you from here and no one can cross over to us from there. So the rich man said, please Father Abraham, at least send Lazarus to my father's home because I have five brothers and I want him to warn them so that they don't end up in this place of torment. But Abraham said, Moses and the prophets have warned them. Your brothers can read the scriptures, what they wrote. The rich man replied, no Father Abraham, but if someone is sent to them from the dead, Rising from the dead, then they will repent of their sins and turn to God. But Abraham said, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. What is Abraham saying? People don't come to Christ because of miracles. They come when the gospel is preached. When the message of Jesus Christ is preached, it takes uh, root in a person's heart and begins to grow. It's the word of God that saves, not miracles in life. And he says if they're not listening to the gospel, if they're not listening to the word of God, they're not going to listen even though people rise from the dead. Let me, let me say a couple qualifiers about this uh, parable before we get into it. The first thing is it's not because the rich man was rich that he went to hell. And it's not because the poor man was poor that he went to heaven. Uh, there are a lot of rich people in heaven and a lot of poor people in hell. Everything has to do with your heart toward God. If you have love toward God and faith toward God, if that's where your heart is and you're thankful toward God, in our case, if you believe in Jesus Christ, then you go to heaven despite your socioeconomic status. That has nothing to do with it. Everything has to do with the heart. On the other hand, if you reject God in this life, whether you're poor or rich, your destiny is the same. You will be separated from God eternally. So what did Jesus teach us about death and the afterlife in this parable? The first thing is this, the righteous get an escort the righteous get an escort. Verse 22, now it happened that the poor man died and was carried away, say carried away. carried away. By angels to Abraham's arms. And the rich man also died and was what? No escort, no angels carrying him. Jesus tells, this, tells it this way on purpose because in death there is honor to the righteous and dishonor to the unrighteous. God honors, remember precious in the sight of God is the death of his godly ones. There is tremendous honor and God values and esteems the death of of the righteous, those that are his. There is an angelic escort to heaven for those that die in Christ. Now now maybe you've had this experience, I don't don't know if you have or or not, I have. I have visited people in the hospital hours before their death. And there have been times when I've been sitting with them and their eyes may be open or their eyes may be closed. And and, and suddenly they might open their eyes and they're looking and, and, and they say, do you see it? I'm like, what? Do, do, do you see what? Do you see them? Do you see the angel? I'm like, no, describe him to me. And there's a sense in which... Again, if it's not an immediate death, instantaneous death, if maybe they're in the hospital or they've been sick for a while and they're nearing death, where the eyes of the dying Christian begins to be open to the spiritual world. And the gathering of angels to take them to their eternal destination begins to become more clear. I wasn't at my dad's side when he died. I'd been there a couple weeks before. My cousin Joe was, was with my dad just a few days before he died as he lay in the hospital. My dad was looking out the window and suddenly he perked up and he, my dad loved to sing hymns. I mean, he would sing them through the night in the hospital when he was awake. He just loved, loved, loved to sing. And my cousin Joe's sitting there and my, my dad turns and he's looking out the window and he says, he says, Joe, do you hear him? Joe says, do I hear who? He said, do you hear the choir? Joe said, where are they, Uncle Johnny? He said, they're right there, outside the window. And Joe goes, no, but tell me about them. And I don't remember the hymn, but he said the hymn that they were singing was probably How Great Thou Art. That was one of my dad's favorite. They're they're singing this hymn. Do you you see them? Can you hear them? Joe said, no, but I believe you. And dad died just, just a few days later. But there's the sense in which that angelic escort that comes to carry the righteous to their eternal destination becomes really real to, sometimes to people before they pass. How many of you have had that experience where someone that you love near death has seen an angel or seen the spirit world? That's not the best part about this whole thing. The best part is that Jesus himself shows up. Remember, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of the godly. Not only do angels come to escort Christians to heaven, but Jesus himself shows up. So Psalm 23, 4 says, David says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are what? With With me at the point of death. The comfort in knowing that when we are about to pass, that not only do angels gather in that place to celebrate our homecoming, but Jesus himself shows up, Amen. Sherlene and i my wife a few weeks ago watched this it wasn't a documentary but it was a story about abraham lincoln and his journey through the civil war and, and lincoln was a great president and, and one of his his attributes was compassion and integrity and so he would he would go to the the hospital tents on the battlefield and he'd visit the wounded and it was fun to watch him kneel down and sorry Just, ex- just extend compassion and love to the wounded soldiers. But what was more interesting to, was to watch the soldiers' response, humbled, that the President of the United States would come and, and kneel and say, we're, we're so proud of you, we're so, we're so thankful for your, your country honors you, and all of that stuff. And they were just overwhelmed that the President would do that. <clears throat> How much more when the creator of the universe comes to your bedside and sits there and says good job well done i am so proud of you when jesus himself shows up at your bedside or wherever it is when you're about to be transported into the next life and you're like i can't believe the president of the united states came to see me no i can't believe the creator of the universe had enough time and enough interest to come visit jeff when he was about to die come on how valuable are you precious in the sight of god is the death of his godly ones Second thing is, the righteous righteous get comfort. The wicked get torment. Jesus teaches us in that parable that the righteous get comfort. Verse 25, Abraham said, Child, remember that during your life you received to the the rich man, he says, you received good things, likewise Lazarus, bad things, but now he is being comforted here, and you are in agony. The word comfort there is is the Greek verb, uh, parakaleo, it, it's, it's the Greek, it's the verb form of the, the noun paraclete, which is a word that was used to describe the Holy Spirit. He, the Holy Spirit is our paraclete, he's our, he's our helper, he's our counselor, he's our comforter, he's the one that strengthens us and encourages us, that's the same word. It, it, there, there is encouragement, there is support, there is strength that comes to the righteous when they, when they get to heaven, everything that was lost is restored. So as we continue on in Psalm 23, it says that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil because you're with me. Your rod and your staff comfort me. Then David says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. What is David saying? This is a a transitional verse in the Psalm. It's moving from the sheep folds where the sheep have journeyed in this life. Now it's moving to the Father's house to heaven. And David says, you you prepare a table before me. I can see the provision of God. I can see what what, what God has in store for me. You've prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I'm not there yet. Satan is still around. Demons are still around. I'm in the presence of my enemies, but I see what God has provided for me. You, You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. There is abundance and prosperity and blessing in heaven where we are about to go. Everything that was lost in this life is restored. Your health is restored. Your joy is restored. Relationships are restored. There is is a divine reunion that you will experience for all those that died in Christ before you. You will see them again. Notice in this parable that everyone's recognizable. Abraham's recognizable. Lazarus is recognizable. The rich man is recognizable. And when you get to heaven, friends, you are gonna recognize all those that have gone before you and relationships are gonna be restored. Restored. Maybe you lost a parent, maybe you lost a child. There's going to be restoration in your life relationally as you get to that place. Everything is is restored. There's comfort for the righteous, not so for the wicked. Not not so for those that don't know Christ. But instead, there's agony. The, the, The rich man cries out for relief from the agony that he's feeling. People that are in hell don't lose their memory. They don't lose the recollection of what happened in this life. And they live eternally with this regret, this regret that if I would simply have followed Jesus Christ, if I would simply had given my life to Him, I wouldn't be here. Can you imagine living with all of those regrets that will never be forgiven? The torment and the agony of living with regret that's saying, if I would have made a decision in this life, I could be in a different place now. I read something the other day that said if, if everybody that's alive today in the earth knew what the dead knew right now, everyone on earth would be a Christian. Amen. If you had that knowledge. Can you imagine for eternity being in a place where there's no love, there's no kindness, there's no goodness, there's no forgiveness, there's no mercy, there's no joy, there's no hope, there's no peace? Because that's who God is. And God is absent from hell. He takes away everything good. Can you imagine living in regret and unforgiveness without all of the goodness of God, the light of God, the hope of God for eternity? See, the righteous get comforted. The wicked get agony of living in regret eternally. It could have been different. The last thing is, no one gets a second chance. No one gets a second chance. Verse 24. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I'm in agony in this flame. Abraham responds, besides all this, between us and you, there's a great chasm or separation so that those who want to go over from here to you will not be able, nor will any people cross over from here to to us. The rich man said, please, Father Abraham, at least send him to my father's home because I have five brothers and I want him to warn them so they don't end up in this place of torment. The the rich man finally came to the point where he realized his situation couldn't be changed. There is no redo, there's no do-over, there's no second chance once you die and your soul departs to that place. It's been done. The wonder of this whole story is that God gives you the choice. God empowers you to make the decision as to where you will spend eternity. It's your decision. You know, there are, there are a lot of, of, of narratives that humans have written about what happens when we die. The two most common can be called annihilationism and universalism. Annihilationism teaches that when we die physically, we cease to exist. Our soul dies, our spirit dies, there's nothing more. And so you might as well just do whatever you want in this life because once you come to the end of your life, you're done. But the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches that you have an eternal soul, that you will live forever in one place or another. The Bible teaches that God has put eternity in your heart. You will live forever. So annihilationism can't be true if you believe what the Bible says. And the other thing is universalism. Universalism teaches that there is no hell, that everybody just goes to heaven. Because, you know, if God's really a loving God, he wouldn't allow anybody to suffer like that. And the reality is that it's that person's choice. They've chosen that path for their life. So it really doesn't matter what the human narrative is about what happens after death. Really, all that matters is what God says. And God says he's giving you the choice, the power, to choose between two options, an eternity with him or an eternity away from him. When Jesus on Palm Sunday rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, five days away from the cross, knowing what the cross was going to bring, he had you in mind. You were on his mind and you were in his heart. And he rode into Jerusalem with the the intention that he would suffer on a cross and die for your sin so that you could live forever with him, so that you could choose that. No one imposes that decision on you. You can live life however you want, reject Christ, and end up with what you want, which is living your own life separate from God. Or you can sign the peace treaty that Jesus enacted at the cross and signed with his own blood. You can receive the free gift of grace and the free gift of forgiveness through Jesus and be brought back into a relationship with God. What is is your choice? God loves you so much that he gave you the decision and he made a way for you to spend eternity with him. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? And if you're here today and and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, you're not at peace with God. Up to this point in your life, you've chosen a destiny apart from God. The reality is there's no second chance once you die. But you have a chance right now in this moment. The first thing you need to do is to admit that you've sinned against God, that you can't change your situation. But, 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 but you can believe that Jesus when he went into Jerusalem and hung on a cross, after living a sinless life, was able to take your sin upon himself. And your sin can be forgiven through Christ. You have to believe that Christ can forgive sin. And ask him to simply save you, to deliver you from sin. If you want to do that right now, I want to pray with you. Just say this this in your own words, in your heart. Say, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know that my sin has made a separation between me and God. But I believe that you went to the cross on Good Friday to die for me, to take my place. Jesus, would you forgive my sin, everything I've ever done wrong? Would you allow me to have peace with God, to have my eternal destiny secure in Christ? I give my life to you, and I surrender to you in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. Friend, if you prayed that prayer from your heart, and you meant that, you made a decision to follow Jesus, something just happened supernaturally, and God forgave you and saved you, and now you need to walk with him to the best you can by his grace. Would you stand with me this morning, everyone? If you made that decision, I want you to do one more thing. I'm going to end here in 30 seconds, but I want you to come forward. There's going to be people up here that would love to pray with you. Tell them that you made a decision to follow Jesus today. If you have another prayer need, you can come up and pray with someone as well. But here's my challenge to you. What does this message have to do with you today if you're a Christian? Well, maybe it will comfort you if if you're considering and you're at the point of death or maybe it'll help you share with someone that's near death to share the hope of Christ and what their destiny is. Or maybe there's people that God has put in your relational world. We call it your oikos. God has set people in your life that right now, if they died, they don't know Christ, and they would go to a Christless eternity with no second chance. Who is that person in your life, in your family, at your school? at your work, in your neighborhood? Who is that person that doesn't know Jesus? Would you pray with me right now for them? Can can you think of their names and their faces right now as we pray that God will touch their heart, that maybe this Easter season is the, the turning point in their life when they humble themselves and surrender to Jesus? Let's pray. Lord, this morning we bring these friends, these relatives, these coworkers, these neighbors to you, and we ask you, Holy Spirit, to open their hearts. We ask you to show them their need for Christ. We ask you to humble them, Lord, to bring them to a point of surrender to you, God. We we pray, Lord, that they would recognize their need for salvation. And Lord, that this season might be the the beginning of a new life, eternal life. As we invite them this week to an Easter service, God, would you you bring them? would, Would you move in their hearts so they say yes? We love you, Lord, and we praise you, and we pray that you'd move on their hearts. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen, amen. Have a great weekend. We'll see you Easter. God bless.